me go ahead and jump right in and give you the title of this sermon. You ready? Write it down. Still on the Wheel is the title of this sermon tonight. Still on the Wheel. Did somebody just say, Jesus, take the wheel? That was you, Ben. I should have known. Got to bring country music into this thing. No, still on the wheel. Write that down. That's the title. And you guys know that I like to give a sermon and a sentence to keep us focused. Um, Let me give that to you as well. Without the word of God, we will only ever be a lifeless lump of clay. Without the word of God, we will only ever be a lifeless lump of clay. That title and that sermon in a sense are going to make more sense as we go um, along. So you guys know we, we've talked about Hebrews 6 several times uh, as we've been going throughout this year, but it says that at some point you've got to move on from the elementary teachings of our faith and go on to maturity so that you can fulfill the calling that God has on your life. One of the most elementary teachings of our faith is this. We need the word. It's one of the most basic things that you, as Christians, you can come away from church or, or even if you open the Bible, at some point, you're not going to read very far before you realize that one of the basic principles of our faith is that we need the word. Hebrews chapter four says that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare. I mean, those are some scary words if you think about it, but this is the power of the word. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Last week, we started talking about the scriptures. We started talking about the word of God. And I told you that as much as God loves us, And as much as we love the Lord, we will never grow, we will never change, we will never mature, like it's talking about there in Hebrews 6, without the word of God. It's just not going to happen. And that's why John, the apostle, the disciple who Jesus loved, you guys remember uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he wrote a letter called John, the gospel of John, also sometimes called the gospel of love. The way that he starts his book should have been for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Because that's like the best one, the one we all know. But he doesn't start with God so loved the world. Not that that's not true or important. But what he starts with is in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. The word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Then he goes on to say that all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness didn't comprehend it. Okay, and you think about this, and we talked about this last week, but that is a really odd and interesting way to start a book, a letter that goes on to make one of the greatest points in the book being that of love. He doesn't start with love. He starts with the word of God. In the beginning was the word of God. It's almost like he wanted us to know that any love, any grace, any mercy, or anything else that we really connect with as it relates to the gospel is founded in and powered by the word of God. Does that make sense? So whatever it is that you latch onto in the faith, some of us have our little pockets of, of deep interest as it relates to the word and Christianity and our faith. Any of that, the foundation and the power of it is founded in the word of God. Now, 
Even his language, and I mentioned this last week, so it's a little bit of a recap. Even his language, he was, it's like he was taking things back to the foundation of everything. In the beginning was the word, the word was God. In the beginning was the word. Well, what does that sound like? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Again, I mentioned this, but I want you to catch it again. Some of you aren't here and you're going to need that for where we're going tonight. Catch this. God spoke, let there be light. So God's spoken word, we said last week, was Jesus on the scene. And I said again last week that Jesus was there. He was, he was with God in the beginning and was God. Listen to me. But when God spoke, the word that came out was light. Now we know that the interpretation of that is let there be light because that's what God was doing. He was creating light or whatever. But he spoke one word. He didn't, it doesn't say in the original language, let there be light. It just says that God said light and light came into being. You guys hear what I'm saying? It wasn't a sentence. It was a word that he spoke. Well, what did John say in John 1? He said that Jesus is the word and he said that Jesus is the light. So get this, Jesus was there with God and was God, but when God spoke, I don't know how it works, but somehow God spoke his son. You guys hearing what I'm saying? Like somehow Jesus came out of God and manifested as God's word and God's light. Okay, so the first word God ever spoke was light. With one word, God declared that darkness would be penetrated chaos would be made peaceful and any dark and dead void would be filled with life. Again, we talked about that last week. But you guys, the, the takeaway last week is that God is still declaring those things. That we don't have to continue in darkness. We don't have to continue in chaos. If, you are, if your life is chaotic right now, guess what? You don't have to continue in that. And we don't have to feel empty. That's a very common phrase. I'm just, I just feel so empty. Listen, God filled the void in the beginning and he is still filling voids with life today. Colossians 1, the, the, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And in John 10, we mentioned this and I'm about to move on, but it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does that mean? That the devil comes and he's wanting to rob us. He is wanting to empty this spiritual house of God, right? But the complete opposite contrast goes on to say that Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full, okay? That was, that was a synopsis of last week. But what I want to do is I want to continue with that thought. I want to continue with that theme that the word of God fills the void and that the word of God brings us to life. So we were in Genesis 1 some last week. Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, there's lots going on. But this is also where he creates Adam. Okay, the first man. And I'm just going to start reading in verse 7. It says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground... And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man 
became a living being. And remember what we just read earlier in Hebrews 4, that the word of God is living and active. We've already made a connection, right? It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul, spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, so God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Adam was there. Uh, He was, you know, full body, you know, naked as a jaybird. You guys know what that means, naked as a jaybird? Okay, that's what we would say to our kids when they would get out of the bathtub and you know how they all would run around naked around the house and I don't know why they love being naked, but we say, you're naked as a jaybird. Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, fortunately they don't do that anymore and so it's all good. But there he is on the, (laughs) well. Um, So Adam's there, full body, naked as a jaybird, ready to rock his Fabio physique, but he couldn't. He's just laying there, this lifeless model of humanity until God breathed into him. So get this picture. Adam laying there, lifeless, motionless, until God breathed into him. When I was about 10 years old, I was at my great-grandmother's house and um, in her front yard, she had these big, I think they're called... um, sweet gum trees. You guys know what a sweet gum tree is? They're, they can get really tall, but they're, they're white and brown bark, you know, really a pretty tree. And they have those sweet gums that fall. Isn't that a sweet gum tree? Does anybody know anything about trees? Anyway, really tall, big branches, fun to climb. So I'm 10 years old. I'm climbing up this thing and we were there visiting my grandma and I'm just out and climbing the trees by myself and I'm kind of going higher, going higher going higher, you know, 10-year-old boys like to climb. All of a sudden, I grab a hold of this branch to pull myself up, but that branch, I didn't notice, because I'm 10, was dead. And so I pulled my full weight on it, boom, and I started falling out of this tree, and it was like pinball, boom, 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 hitting these branches. And I remember back hitting the branches and ribs and, you know, face and all this stuff. And, at the, and I'm falling, 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 and that last branch, like, turned me upside down, and I went, boom just right there flat on my stomach and I couldn't breathe. It knocked the breath out of me. Anybody ever had that happen to you? You've, you've, you've lost your breath. It's just knocked out of you. How many of you know that feeling? That is a very scary feeling. You feel like you can't, you can't get your breath. You feel like you're about to die and you're doing everything that you can to get your breath back. You're, you're gasping and the air won't come. You're trying to breathe. <coughs> And you feel like you're going to die. It's truly a terrifying experience. What if that is what Adam was feeling just before God breathed into him? I think about that. I'm weird, so I think about stuff like that. But what if that feeling of breath knocked out of you is what Adam was feeling just before God breathed in him. Like, what if Adam was laying there, fully cooked, you know, because God had made him, but, you know, ready to come out of the oven, but he's just grasping for air. What if God, you know, he's he's creating him, he's finished making Adam, and, and, uh, you know, he's on that last finger or that last toe or maybe the eyeballs or what 
he makes last or, or whatever. And then God stands up for a second and stretches his back. You know how we do when we get old because God's the ancient today. So, you know, maybe stretching his back and, you know, before he goes down for that, that act of breathing into Adam. And then Adam's just laying there waiting on it and, and his eyes are just, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe I just watched too many movies, but maybe he's like. But he couldn't move. He couldn't breathe. breathe. What if he was laying there? Let me say it like this. What if he was laying there struggling a bit just before God breathed into him? Now, obviously, there's no way to know that for sure. But can I show you something? Can I show you something in God's word? Look back at verse 7 again, Genesis chapter 2. It says that God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That word formed is the word yatsar, it's Hebrew, and it's used as just a general word to describe making something, like forming something. But what's interesting is the actual word, the literal meaning of that word is to bind, to squeeze, to be in distress, to be cramped, to be narrow, to be in straits, to be made narrow, to cause distress. It can even mean and be used to mean besieged. Ultimately, it means to suffer distress. Okay, and the reason that this word became used as the general word for forming and fashioning and creating something is because of the process of a potter taking earth and creating pottery. You guys ever heard of earthenware? Like pottery is called earthenware. Uh, You even see that a couple places in scripture, um, pottery and things being called earthenware. Isaiah 64 says that we are clay and he is the potter. It says all of us are the work of your hand. Jeremiah is talking about Israel. God's speaking to Jeremiah to Israel. And here's what God says to Israel. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you in my hand, uh, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So Israel as a nation was like clay in the potter's hand. He's molding and shaping them. So I want you to get that picture and hopefully I'm giving you a good picture to get. A potter working clay on his will. We've all kind of seen that, that scene. But think about it. Get that picture. A potter working clay on a wheel. What is he doing the whole time he's turning that formless piece of wet dirt into something? Think of it. He's squeezing it in between his hands. Track with me. You guys with me? You guys ever seen somebody do? Remember we had that guy, what was his name, John? And he came, John Hunter, he came and he did pottery right here and we watched him and he's, he's squeezing and molding that thing. Job chapter 34, Job says, that, he, that God doesn't see rich or poor. He sees everybody the same, and we are all the works of his hands. And most of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, so listen to me. What if when God was creating Adam, he wasn't just seeing and preparing in advance the work of this man, naming the animals, tending the garden, you know, Adam's duties, right? What if God in his sovereign and infinite knowledge forethought and was preparing 
every good work of every man. Right there in that moment. And then what if in that moment, God was putting in place an eternal principle? Please hear me. Like God saying, I hereby decree and declare that man will only be a lifeless, unfulfilled, struggling in distress lump of clay until my breath comes into his body. The, the world record for holding your breath, does anybody know it? It's, 20, it's a little over 24 minutes. Let that sit in. Like, what? Some of you just gasp. <laughs> You're grasping, you know what I mean? It's like, what? 24 minutes? That's like holding my breath from the time I leave my driveway to the time I pull into this church. That's crazy. Apparently, some guy in 2016, this guy from Spain, decided that he wanted to lose some brain cells. And so he entered, into, <laughs> he entered into what's called the Mediterranean Dive Show. So this guy's a diver, and he beats the, the world record in, in 24 or something. I can't remember. Okay, so now think about it. We know that it's possible for a human to hold their breath for 24 minutes, right? What if God let Adam experience 24 minutes of struggle before breathing into him. I mean, there's obviously no way we could know that that happened, and it probably did not happen, okay? But here's what a lot of us in this room do know. Life before Jesus was a struggle. Life before Jesus was struggle. Life before salvation was a life of stress. It was a life of strain. And then God breathed his spirit into our hearts, right? You guys, the, you know, the, holy, the word for Holy Spirit in both the Old and New Testament is translated breath or wind. Like in Genesis 1, we were in Genesis 1 last week. It says that the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. That's the word ruach. And it means it's the word used for spirit. But it means wind or breath. Whenever you see Holy Spirit, it's Ruach Kadesh. Okay, the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, um, Galatians 4 says, You are sons. God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. That word there for spirit in the New Testament is pneuma. Same, same meaning, breath and spirit. Okay, look again at verse 7. In Genesis 2, it says that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I'm going to get a little geeky. I'm trying to teach you something. Again, breaking these words down, the word for breathed right there, it just means breathe. Okay, so it's not rocket science there. It just means breathe. But when it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath, the breath of life, Here's what that word is, na shama. And here's what it means. Breath, spirit, or inspiration. And it comes from a word that means to pant or of a woman in travail or labor or to, to gasp. Now listen, this, this kind of stuff is important. So here's what we know. When God breathed into Adam, there was a reaction. Okay? 
Adam felt something different. Adam changed. He went from just this form of a man to a living man. That's what scripture tells us right there, right? And again, there's no way to know exactly what transpired in that moment. But what we do know is that Adam experienced some sort of release. He experienced some sort of relief, right? Now, I don't know if you know this, but relief is one of the top words used to describe what it was like after someone gave their life to Christ. I just felt so relieved, like this load was lifted. I just felt so relieved, right? Yes, amen, okay? But, but let me ask you another question, okay? We're, we're talking about people who are believers and, and the relief from the, the strain or the pain or, or whatever that comes, okay? But let me ask you guys a question. How many of you are born again, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, let me ask this. How many of you are now perfected? How many, of you are, how many of you are perfect? Some of you are laughing. You're like, that's just a dumb question. Seriously, how many of us believers, spirit-filled believers, spirit of God living in us, are perfect? We're just done. We're complete. We can moonwalk away into the sunset because God is just finished with us. None of us, right? Not one of us. We can say it this way. We are still being formed. And let me just say it this way. We are still on the wheel. You guys understand what I'm saying? Still on the wheel. We should make a t-shirt. Still on the wheel. Just still on the wheel, man. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have experienced any of these definitions? Can you go back to that definition of formed? So look up there. How many of you have experienced any one of those definitions of formed since you started following Jesus? Since you started following Jesus. Since you've started following Jesus, you have felt a binding, a squeezing, in distress, a cramping, a narrowing. I mean, look at all those. Um, um, uh, besieging. Somehow you've suffered distressed. Okay, so think about this. So even after salvation, a saint can struggle. I hope you track it with me because I'm about to drop it. Even a saint filled with the Spirit can struggle. How is that possible? How can we struggle? How can we be in distress if we have the Holy Spirit of God, the wind, the breath of God inside of us? Okay, now listen to me real carefully. Everybody dialed in. I don't think that the Spirit of the living God is the only thing that God breathed into Adam. I believe God also breathed his word into Adam. Well, Pastor Tony, I think you might be stretching it a bit because it does not technically say that God breathed his word into Adam. I know. It also doesn't technically say that God breathed his Holy Spirit into Adam. The word that it uses for breath right there wasn't ruach. It was the, remember, na shama, breath, spirit, inspiration. Some of you know that know the word, you've probably mentally made the connection. But in case you didn't, let me make the connection for you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's talking to his beloved disciple, Timothy. 
And he's actually, if you read the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about how the days are about to get just jacked up, janky. I mean, he starts describing what it's going to be like in the end times. And it's not a great picture that he's describing. He's describing this stuff. And then all of it, and he talks about, but you, you need to, you need to um, um, stick to what you've been taught, what I've taught you and what you've learned since you were a kid. And then he says something. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I'm going to get geeky one more time, but this geek is with Greek, okay? The word for inspired there, it's it's translated inspire. Even good old King James translated it inspired, right? All scripture is inspired by God, but the word is theonustos, two different words that mean God breathed. So you can read it this way, and some of us have memorized it this way. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, (laughs) fully equipped for every good work. It's like these scriptures and ideas all come together. We are God's workmanship and we're still on the will. God is equipping us for the good work that he prepared for us in advance. Ephesians 2.10, we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. But listen to me, part of the equipping, listen to me, everybody, Part of the equipping. You're not going to like this. Maybe I should stop. Part of the equipping for you to become the mature believer that you're supposed to be calls for some pressing. That list up there. Can you put that list up there again? It calls for some squeezing, some cramping, some narrowing. Listen to me. If we are on the potter's will and we establish that we still are because we're not made perfect yet, we can expect to be squeezed. You guys hear what I'm saying? And listen, if it's not God's own hand that is doing the squeezing, at the very least, it's his hand that's allowing the squeezing. Oh gosh, Tony, you're being scary. No, because here's the good news. It's okay that the pressing, the squeezing is coming, whether by God's hand or him allowing it. He's up to something. The good news is is that even in the squeeze, we can find life. We can experience relief. The only thing that brings that life and that relief is the word of God, the breath of God. All scripture is God-breathed. Maybe we're in that place that we're, 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 we're gasping for air. We're just, life has knocked the air out of us. One way or the other. Some air, all the air. Maybe we fell right on our face one way or the other. And we're just grasping and gasping for air, for relief. Did you know it, the life of Christ, there's only one thing that brings relief. And it's the word of God. God brought Adam. And again, we don't know that whole thing that I was saying was Adam sitting there rolling his eyes. I don't, I probably not. But the point is, is that God breathed into Adam and he went from formless to living. It was the air, the breath of God, the word of God. 
I believe, that did it. Without the word of God, we will only ever be a lifeless lump of clay. Again, back to Hebrews chapter four, verse 13. The word of God is living. Let this sink in. I don't think I put that one up there. Go ahead and turn there. I want you to see it. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, and maybe you can make these connections a little bit later. Hebrews chapter four, it says that the word of God, I mean, this is it right here. The word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's piercing as far as the division of soul and the spirit. In other words, it cuts down to the deepest parts, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, no creature. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So I I showed you the value of that first part, that all scripture is God-breathed. And without it, we're just gonna struggle. We're just in, in straits, man. Dire straits. We're just, we're stra- we are distressed. Our life is a myth. We are lifeless. But when we bring in the word of God, it changes everything. Just like the breath of God changed Adam from formless to life. When the word of God is ingested, when it comes into us, listen, it does something because it's living and it's active. And it has the ability to cut all the way down to the deepest parts of who we are and do something inside of us. And we, just like, just like um, Adam, clearly felt something. That word, what was it? It means to gasp. When God breathed into him, he's like, <gasps> that's what it says. That is the picture. That's what I'm like, what was he doing before? You know, 24 minutes of sitting there, you know, naked on the ground, you know. I don't know. But there was some sort of relief, something that he felt and found when God breathed into him. Guys, it's the same thing for us. When we get into the word, you will, you will um, receive air. And whatever stress and distress that you are in in the moment, it is what will bring the relief. It's crazy how we walk along in life and life can get crazy. And we're looking for and grasping for any and everything. And we kind of said this last week, but from a different angle. We're grasping for any and everything to find relief. But I'm telling you, and God's word just told us, all scripture is where we find breath. All scripture is where we find relief. If you're walking and and, and life is just a big uh, cramped space, it's narrow, you're in straits, you're squeezed or whatever, and you're looking for a way, but you haven't opened your Bible Please start opening your Bible now that you know that the word of God is the inspired solution. And it goes on, look at what it says. It goes on to say that it's useful. It's useful for instruction. It's useful for conviction, for correction. Okay, now I'm starting to see the full picture. The word of God is living and it's active and it's like a double-edged sword, sharp, able to cut all the way down to those areas where we don't want correction. We don't want conviction. We don't want to be rebuked. We don't want to be taught. Let's just get down to the brass tacks here. 
Let's talk about why we don't open. Listen, every time I get in the word, especially if I'm in in Proverbs, man, I just walk away going, dang. But I'm also inspired because God's breathed into that moment. I'm inspired to do something. You know, whenever I don't want to read the word, I'm going to say something. You're not going to like it, but it's true on some level in all of our lives. You know, when we don't want to read the word, when we won't go to the word, when we have rebellion in our hearts. Because we know, as Christians that have been around a little while, we know what the word of God does. Sucker is living and active and sharp as a knife. Where's that knife I had? Sharper than that. It'll cut you. But we know that. Listen, guys, we know that. That's why we don't open this thing. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want somebody telling me, that I shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that, or even the opposite, the positive stuff, telling me I should be doing this. You hear what I'm saying? The word of God is the only thing, and yet this is the thing that we avoid. And maybe we're not avoiding it. Maybe we're just lazy and we're finding other things to occupy our eyes and our time. But I'm telling you, if that's, if that's us, we're just being lazy and we're not just doing it. Do not whine. Do not complain. And certainly do not blame it on anything else. Remember we talked about blame it on the rain. You guys remember that one? Anyway, don't blame it on the rain. Don't blame it on anything else. If you have not gone to the very source of life, the very source of breath, if you're gasping for air in an area and you haven't gone to the word of God, it's like you just want to die. Let's stand. There's a simple question that I thought we might could end with is this. And, and do you want to be on the wheel? If he is the potter and we are the clay, and the process for maturity is him putting his hands on us and squeezing and applying pressure moving and shaping, putting some distress on this side. Think about what they do. That that pottery wheel is going around and then sometimes a potter will take a little sharp object, stick it in there while that thing's turning. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know that piece of clay is going, ow! But after a few rotations, you've got this beautiful thing that was in the mind and the heart of the creator the whole time. Why do you think he stuck his knife in there? Maybe you feel like there's some sort of knife stuck in you right now. I told you, uh, and I think scripture confirms this, God either stuck that knife in you or he gave the enemy permission to stick that knife in you. Go to Job, right? (laughs) Go to Peter. Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like Satan asked to mess with you, man but I've prayed for you. What does that even mean? It's like, you mean you let, you're going to let him? And she's like, yeah, man, I'm going to let you. You got, you got, I have a vision for your life. But the same instruction was given for Peter's life that was given to Job's life. And that is, look, devil, you have this much room. You have this much room. You can touch him this much, but you can't do this, this, or this. You're still under my authority. I'm only letting you do this because of what I'm about to prove about my servant, Job. And he does the same thing for you. 
Whatever's going on in your life, whatever knife you feel like is inserted into your wet, dirt, clay life, please know that the Lord's in it. The Lord's in it. If you have been, if you've been praying, God, take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. And yet you haven't gotten in his word. Remember what he said to Paul. God spoke to Paul when Paul was asking. There was something that was thorn in his flesh. Isn't that interesting? Something in his flesh. Something in that wet clay. God had him on the wheel. And there was something chiseling into him. And God said, hey, dude, chill. My grace is sufficient. And then Paul stopped kicking and screaming and looked to the word and eventually wrote something like this to his servant, Timothy, his friend, Timothy. Bro, I'm I'm telling you right now, it's gonna get rough. It's gonna get stressful. The world and everyone in it is gonna feel a distress like they've never felt. And here's what you're gonna need, bro. You're gonna need the scriptures. And here's why. All scripture is God-breathed. And the image that he shows us in Genesis chapter 2 of the relief that this wet piece of dirt, formless man experienced when God breathed life to him is the same thing that I believe he intended for every man and woman on earth. By the power of his word, he upholds all things.